Hey, 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 good people. It is me, Rashawn Ali. I hope you are having a fabulous day. Yeah, you may hear my dog. You may hear me uh, finishing up my meal. Well, that's what it is. You know I keep it real with you guys. I'm keeping it real on this amazing day. Today we are joined by Cool Soror of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, Dr. Nina Gilbert. But before we get to her episode, we've got some amazing things going on. Yes, we do. Cool Soror Cares. Cool Soror Cares. We are adopting three families this holiday season to gift them and we are looking for 150 people plus to donate $10 or more at least $10 or more and the donations are rolling in and I want you to be a part of that so all you need to do is shoot us a donation at the link in the cool Sore Instagram page and you can donate right there so go to cool Sore on our Instagram page and the link is in our bio okay and this episode is brought to you by Founders and Pearls we have Founders Day for Alpha Kappa Alpha Delta Sigma Theta and Zeta Phi Beta coming up in January and you need to go ahead and subscribe now and if you do go ahead and punch in cool Sora at closeout and you will get free shipping also greentopgifts.com is the place for you to get awesome wrapping paper and the clarence claus hoodies and all of your stocking stuffers so make sure you go there now and if you punch in cool Sora at closeout you get 10 percent off your purchase hurry 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 so without further ado here is dr nina gilbert and it's called for the love of education Please enjoy. You know you gotta be a cool soror to talk to the cool soror herself. I'm a cool soror. Hey y'all, I am a cool soror of. What's up, y'all? I'm a cool soror of. Hi, I am a cool soror of. podcast hosted by me Rashawn Ali we are back with another edition of the cool Sora podcast and we've had some heavy hitters I mean we always have heavy hitters that's what we do here on the cool Sora podcast and this lady is definitely a heavy hitter I have uh known her probably for I've known her work for years but actually known her now for a little over like six months now almost a year because we worked together last January yes that's right for, for our uh, hidden figures event that's right that's right that's right sounds good that's right I remember that and that was an awesome turnout Dr. Nina Gilbert is joining the cool Sora podcast and you are a cool Sora of what sorority Alpha Kappa Alpha Incorporated. That's right. How you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you, Soror? Doing very well. You are from LaGrange, Georgia. LaGrange, yes. Yes, yes, and born into a family of educators. So education has always been something that you have loved and it's been embedded into who you are as a woman. That's right. So uh, talk to me a little bit about why you chose to even continue on the education track, having grown up in a house full of educators. I actually did not choose to continue <laughs> in education. That is the one thing I did not want to do. Really? Because I grew up with, um, you know, two parents as teachers and my father was also uh, like one of my high school teachers. He was. He was. He was. He was uh, a coach at my high school. And uh, so he was in the cafeteria when I ate lunch and would oh. remind me to make sure that I didn't give the boys uh, all of the food off of my tray. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 we're one and the same because I went to the same high school as my dad was a coach <laughs> and English teacher. So I understood that nobody wanted to talk to me. That's right. No boys. No boys. No boys. What was that like for you, though? For me, it was I mean, you know, I, I didn't know any other way. It was good and bad. Right. And right. no, I, I won't say it was bad. But the, the good was that. um 
my father was in, I lost my father in 96, but he was such an awesome man. Yes. Um, and so beloved. And so there was something special about being coach Scott's daughter. Yeah. Right. To the point where people and his nickname was chief. Uh-huh. Right. And so I was little chief. I was uh, coach Scott's daughter and yep. people rarely called me by my first name. I get it. Um, so I love that. The other part, though, was there was no room for uh, foolishness, right? Yeah. So if I didn't do my absolute best, uh, he knew, yeah. right? If I, you know, wanted to do those things that were uh, 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 not aligned yes. with the values of our home, like I couldn't get away with that stuff because he knew he was mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say it was such a blessing looking back yeah. at that, but I also recognized that I couldn't do what everybody else could. I couldn't go where everybody else went because yeah. I was Coach Scott's daughter. Coach Scott, I get um, it, I get so it. So I, I, and then, you know, what I ended up doing is uh, finding a different career path early. And so I started out in the clinical setting, working uh, in hospitals and clinics Mm -hmm. um, with uh, uh, adolescent patients who had psychiatric disorders. Okay. I loved the field of psychology and psychiatry, and I was going to do that. Okay. Um, And so uh, I I did not see myself initially as a teacher, Mm -hmm. um, but it was not until my father died and I saw the impact that he made when yeah. I came home. And I think I was 29, 30, um, and the people that came to his funeral, he was young, he died at 54 from oh, a wow. brain tumor. Okay, okay. Uh, that was sudden. Okay. And so seeing the multiple generations that he touched, even at 54, he yeah. started teaching at 21, okay. taught high school, so he had 18 year olds in his class. Right. Right, so by the time he, by the time I was in high school, um, some of my friend's parents had been his students, yes. right? And so he was not much older than some of the students he taught when yeah. he came into um, the school system. He and my mom, he and my mom actually met in the classroom. Okay. Uh, they were among the first teachers to integrate an all-white faculty okay. in my hometown. Oh, man. Uh, so there was just a lot of history there, but uh, it was seeing the impact that he made. Impact. Um, and all of the folks that he'd coached who'd gone on to the NFL. Right. Uh, who came back as his pallbearers. Yeah. Uh, from various NFL teams. Like, and to find someone else at the cemetery who said, I'm going to miss your dad. He came to the hospital to visit my mom before she died. Wow. He went to visit my brother when he was in jail. Mm-hmm. Stories that we never knew mm-hmm. how he impacted people. And I got it. I'm like, I know now why teaching matters. Yes. Um, and so I eventually found my way yeah. back into the classroom yes. as a career changer yeah. at age 30. How, how sudden was it? Was it? Was it something that you gradually did when you kind of moved away from the, the previous it, it, setting? It was um, somewhat accidental. Uh, my husband and I, so when my father died, we were living in the D.C. area. My my husband um, was uh, former military and was working for a governmental agency in the D.C. area. And so when my father died, the first thing and the only thing I could think about was coming back to the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to be home closer to, yeah. to my mom. Um, and I remember looking for roles and opportunities and could not find the roles that I had in our uh, previous uh, home. Um, And so a friend of my father's was an administrator in Gwinnett County. Right. And she said, you know, I I know of a position at a school. Would you be interested in, you know, possibly looking at that role? And it was for a pair of pros position. And I was expecting my daughter. Okay. I'm like, I'll do that until I have the baby. Okay. 
and something I, temporary in tempo- your mind. In my mind, uh-huh. it was temporary, and I went into this classroom as a, a fourteen thousand dollar a year paraprofessional, and within six months, I was working on a second degree, had my own classroom, and. The rest was history. Yeah. I stayed in the district for almost ten years as mm-hmm. a teacher and an administrator. So, I so just, it was it it was in you. The gift was always was. there. It was. Yeah. It was always there. Do you remember your first student that you saw that you had impact on? Do you remember oh that gosh. student? Students with I will say student with an S on the end. Um, and those are stories and students' faces that haunt me um, because there were things that those students experienced outside of the school that they brought to school with them. And the work we did inside of the school had a, uh, it either could uh, add additional frustrations or uh, difficulties in that student's life or we could enhance it in some way. Okay. And so for some of my students, and I worked with students with uh, disabilities. Okay. So the students that I think about right now who really impacted me as much as I impacted them were students whose families did not know how to advocate for them. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't just teach to the, teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic. Like I had to be their advocate. Yes. Right. So a student with autism mm-hmm. whose mother thought that we were saying that her son was artistic. Right. Wow. And, wow. and people on my job who thought that was funny. That wasn't funny. That's to not me. funny. No, it's not funny at all. Right. And so understanding what that particular student needed and how to support his mother in her uh, her journey to support her son. Yes. Uh, another student who was in a very kind of dysfunctional environment. Um, fourth grade. You know, why as a fourth grader do you have teachers saying he is unteachable and mm-hmm making sure the kid is outside of the classroom at all times. But because I had that clinical background, yes, you were able to. I, that was where my heart was. It yes. was, uh, uh, to me, about unpacking all of those things that got in the way of kids being successful yeah. um, and being that advocate. Because a lot of kids come to school and they've spent an entire day of life before they even come through the doors at school. And parents are sending not just the only kid that they can send us their best kid they like they they're not saying we're going to keep our good kid at home and send you the bad kid right, right? right they're saying i'm sending you this kid and he has like some challenges he may be a little hungry he may be cranky like maybe he didn't get sleep last night um what are we going to do yes to make sure that when we welcome that kid in that we're giving him or her everything that they need to yeah. be successful yeah so you spent you said 10 years mm-hmm. and and was that in that was here in georgia in Gwinnett. In Gwinnett. Right. In Gwinnett. Yeah. okay great but before yeah. that actually so my, my husband we got married right after college and um so i did spend some time and we lived in holland for three mm-hmm. years really yes and so i worked as a itinerant teacher um when we first moved to holland at an international school yeah loved it yeah um so that was you know kind of some exposure to the classroom before going into the clinical setting and then go- coming back here and so i spent three years um as an elementary teacher uh, in Gwinnett, then another um three years as a middle school teacher Mm -hmm. before finishing up my uh, master's in leadership and I became an administrator at an alternative school because I wanted to work with the most fragile populations. Yes. So these were students who were assigned to 
the district's alternative school for anything disciplinary infractions yeah. Yeah. and I was troubled I was there for three years uh, two and a half to three I was troubled because this district which is the largest district in the state of Georgia one of the largest in the country in a very high performing district had 99% kids of color mm. in this alternative school and some of the infractions could have been for things as minor as posturing to fight not actually fighting but, but posturing, posturing to, to fight, fight. And they're in an alternative school. they're on all because they've done it too many times they've had too many opportunities to posture too many episodes of posturing uh, and then you have others who were had gone to juvie for grand theft auto mm -hmm. and these kids are sitting next to each other in the classroom right and so hmm, um I realized there was something there that needed to be kind of uh, unpacked a little more. Like, what do we do to make sure that kids who make kid-like mistakes, they fight, they posture sometimes. Gross disrespect was another thing that I saw a lot of black kids, Hispanic kids, um, being suspended for. And, and therein lies... It's like the pipeline to the prisons. Uh, well, actually, there's this school-to-prison pipeline that was so huge in my district that, you know, it sparked an office of civil rights uh, investigation. Okay. Um, because that's what was happening, and that's what I continue to see. I continue to see students who were, like my own son, just energetic, hyper silly, you know, seventh grader who mm -hmm. says something that's probably not appropriate to the teacher and you're suspended and now you're in a place where you have to man up and be tough. Yeah. And now you're suspended again because you got in a fight or you postured and then you are 16 and you're no longer in school. But your mom and daddy graduated from high school and went to college, right? Yeah. So this is not like inner city, yeah. low income. And what I was finding, my cop, my peers, my peers college educated college graduates who were saying that our kids were not going to be as prepared for college or have access to college as we did or our grandparents because our kids even in this great school district were being suspended mm, in very high numbers for some very minor offenses yeah and so you only spent um, two and a half, three years there. Did you become frustrated? Were you able to implement change? The, I, I did. I okay. implemented change with the students that I had access to. So as an administrator, uh, at this, I was at two particular um, alternative schools. Uh, the students that I was responsible for, I did see change and uh, because I worked closely with parents. Okay. And parents would say, Ms. Gilbert, she's such a good girl. Ms. Gilbert, he's not a bad kid, you know. He, you know, sometimes is kind of sarcastic and I've been working. Things that every parent who has a teenager that goes through this, like we get it, right? Yeah, but yeah. there was such a lack of tolerance for kids of color uh, to do these things. I, that frustrated me. But the tipping point for me um, was a student who died, right? And so, um, and I'm going to tell this quick story about no, a yeah, student who yeah. uh, I saw and our kids had to have the strict dress code. Um, so the student's standing on the wall. I'm like, what's going on with you? Why aren't you in class? She goes, I don't have on my belt. Why don't you have on your belt? You know, that's part of the uniform because I didn't go home. She's rolling her eyes and sucking her teeth. I didn't go home last night because I didn't get my, okay, well, so I stopped drill, you know, grilling Drilling her. Right, right, right. I'm like, so why didn't you go home last night? Like that was a key question. Yeah. Why didn't you go home last night? And she said, well, I haven't been home in two nights. Why haven't you been home in two nights? She goes, my sister's in the hospital. So I'm having to ask her a number of questions. Her sister was also a student at our school. Mm -hmm. Right. So she was like a 
maybe an eighth grader, and this school went from six to 12. She was an eighth grader, her sister may have been a ninth or 10th grader. She says, um, my sister's in the hospital. I'm like, why? She says she got hit by a truck. Mm. When? On the way to school. Because our school wouldn't get the buses to get to No get transportation, the kids. okay? And so I'm shaking my head and scratching my head. I'm like, okay, how's your sister doing? She goes, and I start to see tears. And I'm like, so what did your teacher have you talked? She said, my, no one knows. No one from our school, not our principal, not the teachers, no one knew that we had a student who had not been in school for two or three days because she was lying in a coma in a hospital because she had been hit by a truck trying to get to, trying school. To, get to school. So I called the student's mom and said, um, I just found out about your daughter. Um, do you mind if I give her a ride home? And she sobbed. She said, please just bring her to the hospital. After school, we went to the hospital. This young lady is lying in this hospital room and the mother is holding her hand and she said, Miss Gilbert, both of my girls are at your school. Well, the Give Center is the name of the school. Uh, she's such a good girl. The two sisters had just moved from somewhere up north to Gwinnett County, had been jumped by some girls at the bus stop, not even at school, had been jumped by some girls. The older girl tried to protect her sister, and they all got suspended, and that's why they were at this school. Anyway, she said, well, you know, I'm glad you brought her because I don't want her to have to ride, take public transportation. This is how my daughter got hit. Well, the girl died. Mm. She died, um, and at that point, I started holding community conversations. Um, we did not have a lot of diversity and leadership in the county at the time. So I started holding these conversations and finally invited school board members to come. And that particular parent who lost her daughter came to the community conversation with the school board member who was at the conversation. The parent stood up and said, I wanna know if students who attend this school will ever have transportation. And the school board member said, if students learn how to behave, they will have a... You're talking to someone who just lost their child. Right. And there was an uproar in the room. Well, this particular school board member was very offended. And she and I had a conversation later. And her exact words to me, and this was in 2005, her exact words to me, Miss Gilbert, you seem to know so much about what it takes to run schools. You should go start your own. And that's exactly what and you I did. And I said, you know what? I think I may take you up on that. And I resigned that year and started my school. Why do these people look at our children like this? Because it's someone else's child, right? It's someone else's child. If you cannot look at a child and see yourself, there's a problem there, right? And I would tell people, like, you may not have children of your own. You may not have children of your own, so you can't look at another child and say, what will I do for that child that I would want someone to do for my child. But if you can't do that, look at that child and see yourself. Yeah. And say, I was once a child. What, what would I want for me if I could go back to my 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 7-year-old self? Right? So that's been my kind of discomfort over the years. Yeah. Like how we see each other, how uh -huh. we see other people's children. Um, and when kids have to die, yeah. and that's what we don't think about. We think that the, the problem is just you don't get promoted. Like that used to be the thing. The worst thing that can happen is you don't go to the next grade. No, now you, you can die, yeah. right? You can die if we don't fix this education problem. Man. So you took her up on her statement and you started your own school. Um, 
Georgia's first single gender charter school. I mean, you, you grew this amazing organization. Um, what was it like, how hard for you, I mean, how hard was it to start and implement this vision and then see it come to fruition? I tried everything in my power to not do it. When I decided to leave, I said I'll do a number of other things first. So I started a nonprofit, uh, didn't know what to do with that, like didn't know what it would be. I called it Turning Points because we would find ways to help people turn around whatever situation they were in. Um, and I realized I was invited to uh, uh, V103 and I remember talking about like I'm talking now. Right. And by the time I got home, like my phone was ringing off the hook and my husband was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like people were saying, my kid is having this problem in school. Can What can you do to help? And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I've started something which was only a conversation. And by starting the conversation, um, I realized that there were people out there who needed something, but they didn't know what that something was, but they knew that this wasn't it. Their kids were coming home broken. Yes. Um, they were sending a whole kid to school and getting a half of a kid back. And in the case of this other student, no kid at all. Right. right? So um, when parents started to find out that I was no longer in the district anymore, I started getting calls for, from people to homeschool. Mm, okay. And I realized that if I homeschooled every kid that I had a call for or uh, 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 request for, that I would have a school. There were no schools, no charter schools in Gwinnett County. I didn't know what a charter school was. I literally Googled, how do you start a school? Just like that. Just like that. And what popped up were private schools, and I knew the kids I wanted to serve could not afford private school tuition. Um, then charter schools popped up. I'm like, I don't know what a charter school is. And I just kept looking and saw what it was. And I said, I will never, ever, ever, ever do that. That looks like crazy work. Um, found out there was a charter office in Atlanta. That's who I was meeting with when I was mm -hmm. in the mm – -hmm dining room earlier the person who oversaw charter schools for um the association for the state of georgia i went and met with them and they said you fit the profile of the type of person who could run a great charter school when they told me what it takes to open one i said i will not do this mm -hmm. it's it's beyond how i am able to what i think i should be able to do to put this together like i can't do that but all i kept seeing were the faces of the kids I'd seen year after year and I'm like I cannot not do it because it's hard right. so I started that process and I was nominated to attend a fellowship in Boston called Building Excellent Schools um, it would require me to leave my husband and my three little ones and I remember him telling me you have to do this wow. and so in 2006 I left my husband and my three babies um, my mom moved to Atlanta to help him how long was that program a year okay and so I went to Boston for a year. I would come back like every other weekend. Um, and it taught me what I needed to know yeah. to build a high-performing school. And you did. I did. Yeah. Um, but I was the district that I left rejected me. They said for that particular district. Well, so the school was to open in Gwinnett County. That, really? Yes, right where I left, right okay. in the same neighborhood where this, this, this woman's daughter died in Norcross. I wanted to open the school in Norcross because Norcross, the Norcross cluster had the lowest graduation rate for kids of color. <sighs> so that's where I wanted to put my school. And the district said, no, you cannot open a school here. Why do you think they said no? Well, I know why they said well, no. But what they told me was that the single, single gender model did not comply with the law, that it violated Title IX, uh, because whatever you do for one gender, you have to do for another. Mm -hmm. So I got a legal opinion from the 
person who co-authored the revisions to Title IX who said it did not um, violate any laws, and so they still said no. I appealed to the state. Um, in the meantime, the Wall Street Journal heard about the story, mm -hmm. and they wrote an article called Back to Failing Schools. That was in 2007. Um, they told my story and told why about why the school district rejected me. They said we didn't have sidewalks. Uh, they said I didn't know the name of my bus drivers. Uh, after they found out the Title IX could not be a reason. But long story short, uh, the state said we'll let you open. And so we opened after two denials from the district in 2008. Uh, the district said we love your model. Show us how you can do this mm -hmm. with only a fraction of your funding. Um, and we did it. And wow. we, those scholars, rocked. they rocked it, right? Yeah. Um, so the Georgia legislature decided to, after listening to my story, create a bill that would prevent other founders from going through that same type of right. uh, journey and so that I could get full funding. And as yeah. soon as we got that, uh, the state su uh, the district sued me. What? Yes. So I went through two years of litigation with Gwinnett County Schools. Uh, they sued their school and they sued the state of Georgia because our model had not been approved by them, but we were receiving local funding. So what happened with that litigation? We won. Okay, we won at the we wanted the superior court level. Uh, the judge said the funding follows a child. Uh, they appealed to the state Supreme Court, and we lost. Oh, my goodness. And so in 2011, we were identified as one of the highest performing schools in the state. We were 99% girls of color, had close to 500 girls in this school, beautiful, beautiful scholars. Um, and we were looking at closure. Uh, and that's when the district came back and said, it's nothing personal. We'll approve you now. Now you can be one of our schools. So they took you through all that mm -hmm. to try to prove a point? Mm -hmm. And the point was it was not constitutional for someone like me and my board. What, a beautiful black woman? An unelected person. Oh, that's okay. what they said. I was not, and my board was not elected. So uh, charter schools are fun. People don't realize that charter schools are public schools. They are public that, schools, right, right. right? And so they said... Um, because we're a public school receiving public dollars, taxpayer dollars, taxpayer dollars can only be spent by an elected school board. Okay. One judge said, that's not true. Another judge said, yes, it, it is. is and okay. so that's why we lost the Supreme Court level. And so we were looking at closure uh, until they said, we'll take you back. But only the thing that happened when they denied us, we were only trying to educate girls in Norcross, right? Mm -hmm. We became a state school, so we had students from all over the metro Atlanta area, from as far south as Union City, mm -hmm. and as far north as Kennesaw, driving to Norcross to attend our school. Wow! And so when we were looking at uh, closure and having to become a Gwinnett school, they said, you can stay open, but only serve the kids from Gwinnett. So half of my students who lived in other places would never, would not be allowed to ever come back. Uh, then the state allowed me to open uh, two more schools in DeKalb County. So that's how we started to grow. We'll have more coming up in just a moment. And I have to let you know that I know that you have been looking for the perfect box for you and your sorors. Well, I have found the perfect partnership with Founders and Pearls. Yes, foundersandpearls.com is the place for you. You know, you always want that special piece of paraphernalia that just speaks to your soul. Well, you will get that if you subscribe for the Founders and Pearls 
box, okay? I know a lot of our Founders Days are coming up in January. This will be the perfect gift for a new soul war, a gift that you want to give to one of your line sisters or somebody that you truly love or one of your Greek sisters. Not only is it paraphernalia, beauty and wellness items, inspirational, just unique and exclusive paraphernalia from all small businesses. I think that's what I love most about it is that Founders and Pearls, they have found the perfect partnership with other small businesses, making sure we lift as we climb. So foundersandpearls.com, go ahead and press the subscribe button and get yourself a subscription. Coming up in January, we're going to be getting it rolling out. So go ahead and subscribe now. That's foundersandpearls.com. Are you ready for the holiday season? I hope that you are. Green Top Gifts is the place for you to get all that you need for the holidays. And the best part about it is that you get to see what your children's faces look like, not when they open up the box, but before they do it, they get to see Clarence Claus. He's so cute. He has beautifully complected skin. He has a gray beard, and it looks like somebody that they can truly identify with. Not only that, I just have to show them love because they have been featured in O Magazine. Yes, Green Top Gifts has been featured in O Magazine, and you gotta love it because you know they are truly paying it forward. So make sure you pick up the December issue of O Magazine because you will see them featured there on page 46. Yes, you can see Clarence Claus in the next edition of the O Magazine. Be a part of the movement, greentopgifts.com. Cool Soror is your code for 10% off your next purchase. Go ahead, get your wrapping paper, get your stocking stuffers, and get those hoodies and buttons today. Greentopgifts.com. Now, back to the show. And so um, you did these three schools for how long before you transitioned into the Until next phase 2011, of Until 2011. Well, mm -hmm. 2011 we grew, and, mm -hmm. and then, then there was a... Um, a uh, constitutional amendment of 2012. I don't know how many people remember that, but there was this big push f from the governor to overturn um, the Supreme Court ruling by a constitutional amendment that says the state can approve charter schools. So once we got through that process, um, I was a huge advocate for that and spent a lot of time pushing for that so that our schools could stay open and more schools could open. Um, after all of that fight externally, I said, I'm going to put all of my attention, because that bill passed in 2012, but I put my attention back into the schools, and I realized that the, the, the fight is one thing, mm -hmm. but what really matters is what happens inside of that school building. And uh, I'd been away from my schools for a while, and okay. there were people I felt like inside of the school who no longer... Uh, were aligned with the vision for the school, right? Okay. And so the bigger we got, the further away from the mission some of the people got. I used to hire everyone. Right. Then I appointed people to hire people, and then those people appointed people to hire people, and now we're losing some of the essence of who we are. Okay. Um, I also recognize that my leadership mm -hmm. had been so central to everything that the schools were about that no one else was making key decisions. Okay. So I realized that unless I expanded my role in a way 
that required other people like our board to step up, that nothing would get done. So I decided to create another organization, mm -hmm. which was uh, a foundation to go and raise money for the schools, go and be an ambassador for the school, hire someone else to take my, my role. Uh, that was in 2013. Okay. I also wanted to teach other leaders, um, especially at the grassroots level, what I learned, advocate for people to try to build the solutions we want in our community. And so I uh, started doing some work at Morehouse College okay. in 2013. Okay. So that's when I made that shift. Trent, that shift. Okay, beautiful. Do you ever miss being in the day-to-day -day of it? Um, yes, I do. Um, so I've spent a couple of years at Morehouse, then I went over to Mercer, where I was teaching teachers and leaders. And so the beauty in that is that I get to help other people who do the work yeah. uh, and I consult quite a bit with folks who are either starting schools or people who are leading schools right now and that allows me to get back into the space um, the schools I started are not the schools they've changed a bit okay. we under we're under new leadership now okay um, and so there are parents who are um, trying to kind of restore uh, our flagship campus mm -hmm. and so I am kind of involved because I'm working with that parent group okay uh, to help them okay um, but I do miss you know the interaction with uh, students and with families yeah. and with teachers yeah 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 I think you'll get back to it I got a I feeling will. that you uh, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> it's in I'm there trying. it's in there so so what exactly is Ed Collab? Um, so that story I just shared with you over the years, I've met so many people mm -hmm. who were working in isolation. I had absolutely no local mentors. I had very few friends uh, at one point because this whole charter school debate is so divisive and it so really polarizing. Is. And people who <laughs> saw me as this charter school woman didn't know that I spent 10 years in, in public in school. Traditional public schools, right. right? And actually had more time as a traditional public school educator than I did as a charter school educator. Um, so I realized that so many of us were working in isolation and we were in these silos, but so many of us were doing great things, but we didn't know each other. Uh, for me, the tipping point was when um, a presidential candidate said, what does the black community have to lose? You know, your schools are terrible. Oh, yeah, that guy. You can't walk down the street without getting shot. You, and I started to think about the folks whose shoulders that I stand on, right? Like in my parents and like your parents, right? right? Folks right. who like, no, that's not our reality, it's right? Not. And so it seems like it's our reality because those are the only stories that are told. Yeah. And I know too many people doing amazing things like you, right? that other people need to know. So because my network was so expansive, but people in my network didn't know each other. Mm. So I created Ed Collab because there were people like me who were so bruised by the work to transform our community, bruised by the work to be empowered and have a voice and feeling like you were working alone. And so we just started to meet. Started actually in a lot of meetings were held here. Yeah. Like meeting with folks who were like tired and they needed a support system they needed a tribe so that's what I started to do was like tell the stories about what's possible mm -hmm. which is why we did uh, hidden figures like yes. what's possible when people really really come together um, and support one another um, and so what we've grown into is this cross-sector collaboration or collaborative of leaders of color who are educators who are journalists artists uh, ed tech founders uh, who were all 
inspired by what's possible uh, when you're entrepreneurial mm-hmm. and you can be innovative and we come together and we do this design thinking. Like instead of talking about what's wrong in our community, yes. instead of talking about the high school graduation rate you know, being terrible and the college attendance rate being terrible, where are the gaps and how can we fill it? Yes. And so we create uh, wonderful things together and we're really excited about that. So what we are, we're just like a think tank. Yes. Um, scholars, you know, we're doing research together. Um, so we're we're whatever we need to be mm-hmm. at the time we need to be it. Yeah. And sometimes we come together and just look at each other. <laughs> like, girl, just gone and cry. We yeah. got Kleenex. Like, we know leadership is hard, but you're not alone. Yes. And if you need me to come over and help you with that math thing, I'm coming and I'm bringing someone from Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing someone from Morehouse. I'm bringing a colleague from Washington, D.C. to yes. help you turn around this math problem that you have in your school. Yes. So you still have this, your heart is just education. Is it still there? It is education. But you know, for me, it's about my heart is like empowerment, right? So I think education leads to empowerment and empowerment leads to education. Okay. Um, They work hand in hand. It has to. Yeah. Because you have learning. If you don't you have to keep learning and keep having this desire to know more because our kids are right. Right. They have access with a device like this. Mm-hmm. They have access to the entire world, world yeah. either good or bad. Right. Yeah. So we have to help educate them about what's available to them mm-hmm. and how they can be like real contributing members of society. Yeah, absolutely. In spring of 19, was it 1987? The Alpha yes, Beta Chapter yes. Fort Valley State University, you became a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Did Alpha Kappa Alpha choose you or did you choose Alpha Kappa Alpha? Both. Both. Yes. Tell me the story. I am the daughter of an Alpha. So my father yes. is my, was my fraternity brother. Um, so my father sent me to his alma mater. He said, you can go wherever you want to after you leave Fort Valley State College. And mm-hmm. I spent every homecoming there. Right. Um, so when I went there, um, I, my mother is a Zeta. Really? Yes, she is. We have this real panhellenic council at my house. So my mother's a Zeta and uh, I grew up being supported by Zetas and their, you know, cotillions and mm-hmm. all of that. And so... Um, when I got to Fort Valley, um, the group of sisters and ladies and scholars and friends that uh, kind of resonated with my spirit and my soul, you know, happened to be the ladies and the sisters and sorors of Alpha Kappa Alpha. Yeah. Sorority. Yeah. Yes. Alpha Beta Chapter. Yes. Yes. So when you told your mom, what did she say? I can't say what she said. Okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. I can't say what she said because okay. it's not politically correct, right. but she was okay. She was okay. She was okay. Um, and my father was like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, of course you're going to be an AKA. Yeah. Right. And they were both there when I, I, I crossed and mm-hmm. got pinned. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. I can say, though, I have two undergraduate chapters. Okay. Because you went to West Georgia, too. I did. So okay. I was able and allowed to transfer because there was something funky happening in 1988, 89. Mm-hmm. 87, no, mm-hmm. 87, mm-hmm. with the uh, education program at Fort Valley. And I was an education major at okay, the time. Okay, okay. And so I, we didn't know if the school was going to keep its education program. And so I just remember talking to my dad about it. And he was like, well, you don't want to lose those classes. See where else you can probably take some classes over the summer. And so the more we looked at that, um, I ended up transferring so that if the education program did not uh, continue, 
I would not lose any credits. Okay. So I ended up transferring. And so the Sorors of Kappa Tau. Yes, one of my well, best friends pledged Kappa Really? Tau. Who was uh-huh. that? She's in fall 95. Her oh. name is LaShondria Haney. Yes, Oh, no, yes. I don't know her after yeah. me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those Sorors welcomed me with open yes. arms. And so I tell people all the time, I'm one of very few people I know that can say that I have two undergraduate yeah. chapters. My best friend did that. She went, she pledged at Bethune-Cookman, but then she transferred to FAMU. So, and she always credits me. She's like I, I was good because of you I was very big in the chapter or whatever and I was like hey my best friend's coming I need everybody to you know so you all were already friends before she transferred oh yeah we were best friends from high school I see but we went to different colleges she pledged at Bethune-Cookman and I pledged at FAMU but when she transferned over to FAMU I was very uh, you know I was pretty popular in the chapter I'm so, sure um, you know, of course you were yeah, her intro lady. was like okay <laughs> all right you know you gotta be you That's gotta right. be on your stuff because you're Rashawn's best friend so I'm glad you had that same experience I did and I didn't know anyone and and so I feel really blessed now because it's as if there was someone there waiting for me as if they know me all of my life. And so my best friend today is uh, Dr. Sheila Cook. Uh, shout out to Dr. Cook. She um, and I have been friends for over 30 years now. Since you since, since I went to Capitol. Wow. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. See, back in the 80s, I know y'all had that's that's salt, when it was awesome. Salt and pepper. Yeah. And, um, Dougie Fresh, and all of that. Oh, gosh. I mean, even the pledge process was so totally, totally different totally. in the eighties. You know what I mean? Totally. When I think of how I wanted my my you know college career to, to be, like, I always looked at like the eighties. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and yeah. Pledge, like all of that, like the eighties. So I look up to you, big sisters. Thank you. Yes, Thank yes, you, I do. Sir. Yes, I do. What is your definition of cool? Ooh, yeah. my definition of cool. I I actually think that. Um, Cool is probably more of a mindset, right? Mm. If you can be cool in your mind, everything else will kind of cool out too, right? Because yeah. um, I, let me think about people who embody that, like Sh- Michelle Obama. Oh, epitome of cool. Angela Bassett. Yes. Like to me, like when I think of the most uh, polished um woke yeah right (laughs) um i'm trying to think of every like possible way to describe these sisters that's what i think about because i am guilty of being sometimes reactive Mm -hmm. like i get so passionate about about injustice right and and equity and i am i respond before and i have to remind myself and i think about these women i think about these sisters i think about a shonda rhymes right yes, yes. Uh, i think about a ava duvernay mm-hmm. who is a storyteller right and I, I love to write and tell my own stories on paper right and so cool being cool in your mind is thinking about the larger uh message that you need to express without just popping off at the mouth. So if you can be cool, uh, I think, in your mind and in your spirit, right, the rest of you will also follow suit. Follow suit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. What is next for you, Dr. Gilbert? I don't know. And it's okay. I want to do so much, and I am doing a lot right now. Um, I'm trying to be cool, right? Uh Like find that thing that speaks to me, that can make impact and do it. But uh, what I'm focused on right now um, is a lot of truth telling. Right? Okay. And so I've not been okay with myself for a while. In what and regard? I, I've not been okay with myself because I have continued to 
uh, take on positions mm-hmm. and roles thinking that's where I am going to make a difference and then realize that I have to become someone else when I am in a certain place, right? And then when I am not able to assimilate to that particular environment, like I couldn't get with the school system, okay. right? Because I couldn't treat kids like that. Right. I couldn't get with uh, some of the things that happens even in the charter sector, yeah. right? Because we're not the silver bullet. Like mm-hmm. we don't have all of the answers, uh, but it's not cool to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't get with even in our community when we say that the problem is white people when yeah. we don't do what we should do right 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 right, right. Uh, by people. Um, so I've gone to HBCUs, I've gone to PWIs, I've gone to an Ivy League school, and in each of those situ- in circumstances and environments, there's just been amazing things that were wonderful. Then there have been things that bother me, like we need to do better as mm-hmm. people, yeah. right? And over here, we need to be more uh, engaging and inclusive with people and then we not we don't need to be elitist right and so having these messages sometimes that are not uh, always well received and popular sometimes makes you think about like which person am I, am I going to present uh, how am I going to present myself in this next role mm-hmm. then I realize I'm not cool with that right yeah I have to be unapologetic authentic who I am, um, not assimilate, and just do what I know that I've been called to do. Yeah. Uh, and that's been hard, and that means sometimes you're alone. Yeah. Um, and so that's hard to think about what I want to do next. And then face some hard truths about you. Yeah. Yeah. What I would love to do is talk to people, yeah. right, and hear people's story mm-hmm. and connect them to people who can help them um, along their journey. That's what people are missing. Yeah. Right there. Do it. I'm going to do it. Yes. Give yourself permission to. You already did. That's right. That's right. But I love this uh, opportunity to talk to you yeah. and your amazing audience because I think we need to hear yes. stories and um, share I, lessons learned as right. much as possible. I just wouldn't, you know, people's stories are meant for other people to hear. So they can get, gain a better understanding, not only for them, from the person they hear from, but for themselves. Yeah. You've helped somebody today. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so, especially sisters who are trying to navigate these seasons of their lives. Right? Yes. So I was a young mom. I got married at 21. Our son was born when I was 22. And he is um, in Chicago acting. I have another son in law school. And our daughter is a junior in college. All right. So my husband and I are empty nesters. Right. It kind of feels kind of young, right? You are young. Well, I I think so. But then when you're navigating these intersections, right, like what's next for me? Mm -hmm. um, It's hard being a woman of color navigating so many different intersections in our uh, culture. Yeah. uh, In different industries. And so I would love for women of color to kind of create the create the tribes that we need to yeah. support one another and right. mentor one another. How does your husband support you in all of your many ventures? How has my it been for you husband, guys? My husband, bless his heart. We grew up together. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, know. I am married to my prom date. Um, so <laughs> um, he has said yes to things he probably should have said no to. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't need that extra pair of shoes or that car. Right. But there are things he said no to that I'm glad he did, right? And so the things he said yes to, I was so scared to do, like starting a school, like going back and getting my doctorate, um, like 
coming out of the classroom and doing whatever it is you feel God has called you to do. I got you. I got you. So his support for me has been this unwavering uh, commitment to supporting my my ventures and my visions and my dream, my dreams, um, and being willing to stay at the house. Like if I had to travel and go places, it's like uh, I'm, I'm here. He's a network engineer, so he works all the time, um, and he's helped me, you know, kind of fulfill all of these things yeah. that I, I've wanted to do. Good, good. And I'm sure he'll continue to do that. I pray so. Amen. <laughs> well, how can people find you and support what you are doing? I know you're still navigating that, but look, Ed Collab or any other information you want to give to our amazing sure, collective? Sure, sure. So I'm trying to increase my social media presence. <laughs> um, not doing that great of a job at it. Uh, but we do have a website. It's edcollabatlanta.com. Um, I have two email addresses. One is an edcollab, uh, nina at edcollab.com and nina l gilbert at gmail.com. Uh, I am on social media, though. I'm on Instagram um, and uh, tweet every now and then. So you can find me there as well. Uh, but I hang out at the gathering spot yes. quite a bit. So yes. folks can also find me here. I know it. I love it. I love running into you and giving those good hugs, getting Absolutely. those good hugs from Absolutely. you. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for having sharing me. your story today. Well, really, really you. good. Thank you for allowing really. me to tell it. Absolutely. Dr. Nina L. Gilbert, everybody. Hello, my name is Dr. Nina L. Gilbert, and I am a mother, educator, entrepreneur, researcher, writer, and I'm a cool sort of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Yee!